And welcome again to another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines, and on the phone with us from his life sport coaching world headquarters on Hamsterley Road, somewhere near Victoria, BC, is one of the legendary folks in the world of Canadian triathlon. Coach Lance Watson is our guest. Lance, welcome and thanks for taking the time to FitSpeak with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, nice nice to uh, connect with uh, people in the Fraser Valley. So before we get into our main topic of tapering for triathlon and some of the stories we'd love for you to share with our listeners, just want to know how is the coronavirus thing affecting you and the folks at LifeSport? Well, it's, um, you know, you, you keep things in perspective, right? Because um, obviously business concerns are secondary to the general health and well-being of everybody at large and you know kind of looking out for each other but um you know as many endurance athletes and triathletes have observed we've been um, seeing events being canceled and uh, postponed and um you know that's that can be a little bit demoralizing for people who uh you know particularly if it's a big life goal and they put a lot of time and energy and resources into getting ready for what is you know they're hopeful to be a, a life experience and um, that gets postponed um that can be you know it can be a little bit of a letdown and then you know it becomes our challenge as a coaching group to um to keep them engaged and remind them that it's uh, training is about health and fitness as well and it's about um maintaining a, a string and a connection to um a higher level of fitness more than just you know getting out for a jog but actually uh staying within striking distance of being ready to to race in, in a short period of time because you know this will pass mm-hmm. and um events will be put back on the calendar and uh you know we're all uh we're all athletes at heart and we all want to be ready to go uh you know and i guess the other thing i would just say is that uh triathletes are and and runners and endurance athletes in general are um they're a pretty resilient bunch and um pretty determined and uh um we found that the coaching business and the um event business has been i wouldn't say 100% recession proof but mm-hmm. fairly resilient through economic downturns in the past you know well, coupling know. corona with the uh recent stock market <laughs> calamity no kidding, um yes. you know people people still take keep uh, keep taking care of their their health and well-being so so you know it's our job to sort of shift focus and and find other reasons to train and maybe create little challenges for them along the way so that um, they have markers to know that they're still taking good care of themselves and reminding them that um, they're still triathletes and mm-hmm. runners and cyclists and events will be back on the calendar in uh, uh, within the not too distant future. I'm wondering if there's going to be any rise in subscriptions to online cycling services like Zwift in light of all this stuff going on. Well, you know, it's really funny you say that because um, I was I'm a Zwifter myself, and uh, I was looking at some of the events um, yesterday, and I was like, "Wow, those are really big numbers signed up for some of these uh, online races." Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't put one and one together in my head um, immediately, but. Um, Thinking back, a lot of them were kind of the late hour uh, West Coast times, which would be, you know, kind of prime time Europe. And, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there, you know, there's areas of Europe that are kind of a step ahead of us as far as, you know, um, Corona alarm bells. So, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, to your point, um, for sure. You know, I think it's it's going to be a staple. Um, you know, another little side story. Uh, when I was down in Tampa um, last week, before the travel ban, <laughs> um, I was at the world headquarters of Ironman, and I was talking to the uh, general manager of um, Ironman China, mm-hmm. uh, an American fellow who basically couldn't go back to China because um, he'd made his way to the states and he couldn't go back to China. One way trip. Um, yeah, but um, you know, he was talking about a lot of his um, friends and colleagues and staff who were house quarantined there and they had created a big kind of social network amongst themselves trying to come up with creative ways <laughs> to stay active and fit at home yeah. you know because not everybody has a big home gym set up right mm-hmm. yeah so so yes um you know the the role of the coach is uh you know, it's not just getting athletes ready for a race. It's a little bit more holistic than that. And in this case, you know, it's helping them find solutions to maintain both physical and mental health through the pandemic. Right. Making do and offering creative and, you know, helpful solutions for your athletes. Um, yes. So you've had the opportunity in your, what is it, two or three decades now as a coach to, you know, work with some of the best athletes in our sport from Olympic gold medalists to Ironman champions. So for, you know, for the athlete to deliver the goods come race day, they've had to do this thing called the taper. So for our listeners, could you just, you know, briefly explain in your opinion what a taper is all about? Well, sure. Um, you know, in general terms, uh, taper is basically making sure that you absorb all the training um, and rest for your key race so that you're able to actually show off your hard work on the race course. You know, the common mistake is athletes who train too hard too late um, into their events because they're afraid of losing fitness. And, um, they, uh, you know, they end up leaving their race and training maybe a week or two weeks out from their key event. So, you know, physically that's what taper is. And then taper is also, it's a mental process as well. You know, a lot of times, um, you know, as you're reducing training volume, um, and you're getting closer to the race, it's, uh, it, it creates a little bit more time and opportunity, uh, to basically go through a to go through a process of getting yourself mentally ready to race. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into, because you do have a background in sports psychology um, as well, into that in just a little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. Going back uh, now, I guess, quite a few years, uh, back in September of 2000 in Australia, you, a certain guy from Kingston, Ontario, and uh, I think it was Barry Shepley, you kind of shocked the triathlon world with that gold medal for the very first triathlon at the Olympics. Can you tell us what uh, you guys were doing in those final two weeks to, to set the stage for such an incredible, perhaps unexpected performance? Well, sure, yes. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, you know, I was Simon's coach for the year going into that, and and um, Simon went from probably ranked about 60th in the world to qualifying for the Olympics, and then really started to come on through the summer. Um, you know, in my group in Victoria, uh, we felt like he had a shot at a medal because he had he had uh, performed in some 
uh, World Cups leading up to the event. But I think to the world in general, <laughs> outside looking in, a, a lot of people hadn't kind of put them on, put him on their radar. radar they might have had him as a dark horse or something yeah. like that. But uh, oh, you know, I thought him as one of the guys, but not a not a medal contender, and certainly not a gold medal favorite. There was that other and, side uh, who everybody was kind of focused on. I'm sorry, I missed that question. Pardon oh no, me? I was just saying that there was that other Simon that uh, most of the oh yeah, yes, yeah. On. Well, there was yeah Simon Lessing. I mean, uh, Peter Robertson was a big name going into that. Um, you know, the Australian Miles Stewart. I mean, there there were a number of um, stars in the sport at that time. Uh, Hamish Carter I think, was a was a big name back then as well too. And um, you know, so the, yeah, the focal point was on them and and. Um, You know, so when I think about the lead into that Olympics and what went well and, uh, you know, taper wise, um, you know, first of all, um, you know, is is creating uh, physical opportunities to do uh, final preparation. So we actually went to a familiar training ground on the Gold Coast of Australia where we had done our uh, uh, extended um, qualification camp uh, four or five months earlier. So we knew all the venues. Um, it was a lot of routine. You know, there wasn't learning. There weren't curveballs. We just mm-hmm. went back to the track and the pool and the riding routes that we knew. And so that kept things easy. Mm-hmm. It was close to Sydney, but it was still an hour flight away. So we were kind of insulated from a lot of the hype going into it. And of course, the triathlon was on the opening weekend. So right, yes. it allowed it allowed us to sort of be in a bubble and approach the race just like any other race and and you know and there's learning there too for um for all athletes because um you know a lot of times when it you know whether you're an age grouper and it's your big iron man or um you know you've you've qualified for it worlds or it's just the thing that you know you've you've been dreaming about Mm -hmm. it's easy to sort of blow it out of proportion a little bit or put um uh, undue pressure on yourself because you're so you know, nervous and anxious and excited to have your best performance on race day. And, and um, you know, the best thing that you can do um, getting ready for your your race is to create a sort of a training and taper routine into other races that you can just replicate, you know, that you know that works. And then um, get yourself in a headspace that you're basically going to go out and execute your skills within your skill set of swim, bike, run mm-hmm. on that course. So in this case, you know, um, first triathlon ever for, um, uh, first Olympic triathlon ever, uh, for our sport. And, um, there was a little bit of ignorance is bliss there in the sense that, uh, you know, everybody was new to the environment in our sport and then, you know, having, being outside of the Olympics and then, uh, um, being on the opening weekend of the Olympics, you didn't get sucked into as much of the hype and pressure as maybe some other people were feeling. And, you know, and then, uh, um, you know, I would say, you know, final preparations when we went into Sydney, um, you know, I remember um, walk jogging the run course with Simon and we would, um, you know, we would stop at certain points uh-huh. along the way and we would talk about potential scenarios in the run leg of the race and who might be where and, right. you know, how how you might, uh, you know, approach this hill or this this bend, et cetera. And then he would like run it and we'd stop and we would close our eyes and we'd do some visualization and we'd jog a little bit more. And so we really, we kind of, we did a dry run of that, that leg of triathlon um, and, and talked it through in depth. And it was actually interesting to watch it play out on the, uh, 
on race day because I felt like everything that we had talked about and visualized kind of came to fruition. It was like a bit of an automatic um, on race day. You know, it's, it's like he'd done it once before and yeah, it just, and yeah, just kind of, yeah, he just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's learning there as well too, you know, it's, um, you know, mental preparation and, and, um, and uh, visualizing is, is very powerful and, you um, you know, it's the more that you can play it through your mind, um, the the more likely it will happen automatically. You won't have to think about it or second guess yourself or that kind of thing on the race course on uh, race day. So you show up, execute, and in Simon's case, uh, the world's first ever gold medal in triathlon. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, that, w- that was definitely a landmark moment in my life, and uh, you know, just just pretty incredible all the way across I, I remember calling back home and uh friends saying you know it was like the stanley cup had been won you know people were banging pots in the street and you know cheering off their balconies and, and that kind of thing and uh you know of course um in our neck of the woods over in australia you know we all lost our voices oh, uh, I bet. Yeah. you know uh just from screaming and cheering and uh you know i mean i saw grown men uh, you know weeping in tears and you know so um yeah yeah no it was, it was definitely was a special special day so in addition to simon you've also been coaching you know a lot of you know outstanding athletes i mean on the female side you've been coached for uh lisa bentley probably one of canada's most successful lawn course female triathletes were there any tapers that you and her worked on and designed and you know you felt you're real really nailed yeah, sure. Um, you know, and maybe I'll just, I can speak about Lisa, but I can speak a little bit more generally because, you know, I've coached, um, you know, Brent McMahon more yes. recently, um, you know, who's got, uh, you know, half a dozen uh, sort of eight hour faster yeah. Ironman, um, you know, uh, Chris Lieto, you know, um, uh, Lindsay Corbin, and a number of pros. And, and the thing is, is that it's, I've, I've, I've observed two kinds of tapers physically that work (laughs) and um you know everybody's different and there's some finer points and you know um essentially what i've noticed is that there are athletes who rest really really well into races and um do really really well with having very low training volume on race week going into the race and that kind of an athlete you're training hard till you know, if it's uh, your A race, you're training them hard until about two weeks out, and then you're unloading a little bit, you're touching on threshold and um, some aerobic work in the um, two weeks out from the race, and then the week of the race, you're unloading again, so another um, 50% less volume. So two weeks out, you're going at 50% volume, and then one week out, you're going 50% of that. Um, and just little little touches of race pace and just resting really hard um, into the race. And those athletes, they turn up fresh, muscularly resilient. Um, you're doing a little bit of that, uh, you know, higher intensity work really just to make sure that glycogen stores are up and that blood plasma volumes are, um, you know, at max capacity, but um, not a lot of work. Um, on the other hand, you'll have some athletes who rest into races and they are crusty and stiff and can't get it going. Wow. And um, those athletes, I find that they respond better to um, having um, four or five weeks out from the race, maybe having a, an eight or 10 day deep recovery block and then one solid training block 
And then you're going to be about two and a half weeks out till one week out from the race, lower intensity. And then you will kind of build or escalate them into the race. Okay. So that as you're getting closer to the race, you're actually, um, you know, kind of opening up the engine again and yeah, uh, warming them back and, up. and getting and getting them going. Yeah. So you're trying to find that balance between obviously not having them. You know, you're not going to have them go out and race on Thursday before their yeah. Sunday race. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, you might be having them doing sort of half practices to three-quarter practices, you know, midweek before their race. So they're still finishing underdone and they're underdoing it on pacing a little bit too. So you're not trying to build fitness, you're trying to maintain fitness. Um, and then um, what you will advise the athletes to do i mean if you're going to take those two basic tapers you know i call it a front load or a back load taper Uh (laughs) um is just to pay attention to training patterns so if you're an athlete who comes off a recovery block and you feel terrible for three or four days yes which is pretty common um you know then you probably should look at the way that you taper as well. Like you don't want to come off a recovery week and try and race. If you feel terrible after a recovery week, you might want to think about having a little bit more activation and movement Mm -hmm. in the three or four days going into your race without overdoing it. You know, you don't want to create muscle soreness. That's the key. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, if you're an athlete in training who, you know, comes off a recovery week and you're like on fire, like a, you know, I, I have athletes like that who I most have to say, okay, you need to take it easy on your first two days back because you can go and blow your whole load you right. know, and, 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 and actually wreck your upcoming training block because you go so hard after that recovery week because you feel so good, mm-hmm. right? So, so if, but if, if you're that kind of an athlete, then that kind of athlete, you want to rest more into a race. So, so someone like Lisa Bentley was a diesel engine, um, Brent McMahon's like that too. You know, we kind of have to build them into the races a little bit. We can't let them rest too much in the few days going in, or things just tighten up. Um, someone like uh, like a like a Chris Lieto, um, he was uh, Simon as well. Um, they they raced really well rested. You know, um, Simon, uh, you know, yeah, low volume. Um, you know, I, I always said that he was kind of like a. Uh, almost like a middle distance runner that we had to train up to like being a half marathoner, but oh. he had that kind of, yeah, I mean, he had, that's, I mean, if you remember Sydney, he won with that incredible sprint finish. We he had that do. speed. We all do. Yeah. 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 And, um, so he had, you know, this elasticity in his muscles and, uh, which allowed an anaerobic capacity. So it allowed him to, you know, push hard well above threshold, but then, you know, that would damage muscle fibers as well. So, so he needed to be very rested going into races. Whereas, um, Lisa, you know, she was, uh, she's maybe the only athlete I've ever coached who would wear a heart rate monitor on the bike to make sure she was going hard enough, not holding back. (laughs) It was basically like, how hard can I push, you know, because her, her, um, ability, to race Ironman was much closer to her threshold than um, most human beings. So, ah. yeah, yeah. So, when you're training these athletes, I mean, these are obviously some pretty good success stories, and you are able to, through observation and reflection, design the type of taper that would uh, best get the results that you wanted from that athlete's particular physiology and you know psychological 
background, which is probably a, a case of some trial and error and fine tuning and whatnot. Can you think of any times where you know you did your darndest as a coach, but things just didn't quite work out well from a tapering perspective? Any spectacular fails to speak of? <laughs> well, spectacular fails. I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, it's, the thing about a triathlon is it's swim, bike, run, and if it's an Ironman, it, 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 it's a long duration. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong out there. And, and uh, you know, I would say that um, there's just been a lot of cases. Like, I, I remember when... Um, well, Lisa Benley going into Hawaii one year and she was complaining of like stomach pain and, you know, but she was so determined. Um, I kind of switched off my coaching <laughs> perception and let her, you know, keep pushing a little bit and, you know, I just, it's just a cramp or it's just a little bit of a pulled muscle or whatever. And, and um, so rather than shutting her down, you know, we just kind of went through her regular protocol. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, long story short is, you know, she burst her appendix on on the marathon course. And, uh, you know, I had the tough job as a coach. Yeah. Yeah, In in hindsight, it's a no brainer. But, you know, I had to pull I had to pull her off the course at about mile 10 of the marathon. So you can imagine she made it that far with a ruptured appendix. Um, and she was in the top 10 oh at the Ironman championships, oh, but she was, but she was running hunkered over to the side, oh. holding her side. So, and knowing Lisa, she would have continued at that pace to the finish line. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, coaching pro athletes, um, you have to be wary and they're, they're so hungry for the results. And, you know, I coached another one with a woman named Kim Loeffler, who, uh, an American woman who, mm-hmm. you know, she'd come eighth in Hawaii the year before and was the top American. And, you know, she was complaining about a little bit of a pain in her quad. And, you know, she ended up coming 23rd in Hawaii that year. And, and we found it after she was running on a fractured um, femur, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it's, you know, it's just like, I mean, she's just so tough and yeah. so determined, but, um, you know, it's, um, you just, yeah, it's, it's a challenging job as a coach sometimes to sift through everything and, you know, pull an athlete back when they're, they're going into the world. And then, you know, and then again, you have to, um, in a, with a case like that, with a fracture, you have to take a hard look at yourself in the mirror as a coach too, and say, okay, well, did we overdo it somewhere? Did I miss some signals a month ago? Right. You know, it's right. So yeah, but, um, you know, but for, for all those, uh, challenges, there's been some amazing successes as well too, you know, where you really figure it out. And, mm-hmm. and then sometimes there's things that happen that, um, shift your paradigm as a coach too. Um, you know, you observe somebody having success, when they probably shouldn't have. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you, you step away and you scratch your head too and you go, okay, what happened there? Um, you know, I remember um, when Brent uh, McMahon did his first Ironman in oh. Arizona, um, you know, he came down with shingles, uh, you know, two weeks out or whatever. Oh. So we did, we just shut him down. He did yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, he started to feel better and we're like, oh, I don't, probably shouldn't race. So okay, I'm feeling better. And then we had like one sort of tester workout and it went pretty good. So um, we decided to go for it because it was the end of the year anyway. It was yeah. Arizona. There was nothing after. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with like, you know, if this happens and you're going to drop out, you know, we had that conversation, mm-hmm. you know, because we didn't want to cause anything permanent. But, um, Anyway, long story short, he uh, he had a world record debut Ironman. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, won his first Ironman overall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, went uh, yeah seven seven fifty six, I believe it was. You know, in his first Ironman ever, yes. and uh, so then you walk away from that, and you go, okay, what happened there? <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna certainly not gonna advocate my other athletes get shingles before a race. So. No, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you are like, what what was the rest pattern, and you know, what did it force you to do differently that you might not have done otherwise, right? Yeah, so. kind of do some reverse engineering from that success story because I mean, when mm-hmm. we're talking to you know even age groupers who have a lot of success, I'm always challenging them uh, to take a look at what they're doing and and questioning, you know, is the success that you're having because of your training protocol or is it despite your training protocol? But unless you've had, mm. you know, perhaps some other eyes to take a look, you're never really too sure. No, that's a great point. And, um, you know, athletes, the nature of athletes are that when something goes wrong, they slice and dice it and analyze it to the nth degree. Yeah. And when something goes right, they're kind of like, ah, oh, that was good. Yeah. And then they move on. feels yeah. good. But um, it's actually when you have success, that's where your greatest learning is because that's what you want to be able to replicate and own. So, you know, whether that's physical or mental. So, so yeah, to your point, um, when you, when things go well, what happened? <laughs> yes. Benefit from that wisdom that hopefully was imparted on you, you know, leading up to the race and in the heat of the battle as well. Now, we've been talking a lot about the uh, the fast people, you know, the Olympians and Lisa Bentley and Chris Lieto. But for the folks who you're coaching, um, you know, age groupers, just the average age groupers, I mean, that's, that's kind of a different situation. They've got time constraints. They've got family. They've got jobs. Uh, now, from a coaching perspective, how would, or maybe this is a silly question, would be uh, a taper, designing it from your perspective, be different for a pro as opposed to a average age grouper? Well, yes and no. Um, you know, it's, it's all relative. Uh, pros in general do more training volume. So, you know, when you're reducing training volume for a pro, um, it's, it's still going to be you know, relatively quite a bit more mm-hmm. uh, than than an amateur would do. Um, you know, it also comes down to what does that amateur hope to accomplish out there? Because when we're talking about amateurs, we could be talking about competitive age groupers. We could be talking about you know middle of the packers trying to trying to score personal bests, mm-hmm. or we could talk about you know, newbies who are, their only goal is to make it to the finish line, Get to that right? Finish line, yeah. And then, yeah, and they're all valid goals. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're all, they're all big goals to those people. And, you know, so for your, your, uh, your newbie who wants to make it to the finish line, like you just have to make sure that they are absolutely as fresh as they can be and that they're, everything is organized <laughs> really, really well. Yeah. And they knew they know exactly what they're going to do, um, you know, um, logistically to get themselves through that course, because almost anybody can get through an Ironman, you know, um, you know, if, if they're relatively fit and, and able bodied, if they have a good strategy. But, mm-hmm. you know, if they, they don't want to start that race with any kind of fatigue um, whatsoever, you know, they need to be fresh. So so typically, you know, for that kind of an athlete, um, the recovery period for me would be a three-week taper uh, rather than a two-week taper Um, but it doesn't mean three weeks of doing nothing it would be you know um, gradually reducing over that last three-week period and um, there would be more uh, complete days off for those athletes versus um, you know the more experienced athlete you know when you get into a higher performing athlete a lot of times um, 
they'll actually recover better by going and doing a you know an easy two kilometer swim than doing nothing. Than doing nothing. Keep, yeah, that's that's yeah. Why they keep blood moving and yeah. you know nutrients circulating through their muscles and and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So mm. yeah, yeah. In fact, I've had athletes, uh, pro athletes. Um, have what we call taper injuries oh, <laughs> where they're completely so tragic <laughs> i know where you're completely completely healthy and then the body just tightens up through taper and suddenly there's you know a, a tight calf or an achilles or something like that as well too so yeah so you do want to make sure that people are keeping their joints mobilized even if they're not training you know through stretching or yoga or, or you know whatever massage that kind of thing and and then um and and then you're you're gauging their taper volume relative to their experience level mm. um the amount they've trained in their goals i mean you know you, you may have an athlete who's coming into an iron man and they're pretty underdone for the iron man you know like they've done enough to get through it right but but they haven't done enough to really you know go after the course and the worst thing you can do is try and cram in a couple of long rides right at the end you know just like just like studying for a final exam the night before i mean you know why not get a good night's sleep and play the cards you got Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Like they'll, they'll have a better chance of having success if they're fresh mm -hmm. rather than, uh, yeah, rather than, um, you know, if they're trying to just cram that extra long ride in, that'll just cause more fatigue and muscle damage than, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess the potential of I'm not worthy. I shouldn't be, you know, the whole psychological aspect, um, your background's not only human kinetics, but of course you've got the background in sports psych. Um, mm -hmm. what kind of sports, you know, uh, advice would you give to an athlete in handling the mental aspect of tapering? Well, basically to come up with a plan, first of all, um, it's after used to being schedule oriented and, uh, when training volume is down, they can get a little bit stir crazy. And next thing you know, they're catching up on, you know, um, a year's worth of gardening in their backyard or they're you know, reorganizing the garage or something uh, like that, you know, or they're scheduling in more business trips or meetings or that kind of thing because, you know, I got all this extra time. That's right. And, uh, you know, and then they forget that, you know, to race like a champ, you have to rest like a champ too. And, so creating, you know, structure within their days that includes things like, you know, um, maybe sit down office work or reading a book or, you know, um, you know, allowing yourself to, you know, watch a movie or some Netflix or that, that kind of a thing um, within your day, but kind of having a little bit of a schedule and then, you know, and then when they do go into their taper sessions, mm -hmm. um, you know, to be focused on moving well and reinforcing mechanics biomechanics and, and that kind of thing um, but not I would say this don't not to be looking for the magic or looking for the confidence <laughs> because a lot of times you know physically when you're tapering what happens is that um, you know your muscles are topped up with with uh, glycogen fuel right yeah. because you haven't been exhausting your stores and glycogen absorbs water and so quite often athletes feel a little bit sluggish when they're tapering you know or you know, and they start to play little mind games with themselves, like, oh, am I fit? Am I ready? Or that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. so I, I try and prep them for that. And then I also remind them to, um, you know, take some time to go back through their training build, too, and pick out some of their best workouts to reflect upon and think about how they felt as they moved through them. And then, and then to create a, um, like, a little bit of a mental preparation uh, schedule for themselves as well, too. So particularly if it's an Ironman, you know, and mm -hmm. um, which is almost always someone's a race 
Yeah. You know, unless they're a professional and they're doing more than one, but uh, for most people, it's their A race. Um, um, to take, you know, a little bit of time either in the morning or at night before they go to bed and actually close their eyes and just visualize and to think about that race from start to finish as best as you can and maybe spending one day thinking about just completely about mental emotional state like the kind of conversations they want to have with themselves and you know how they want to feel throughout the day and the kind of things they want to focus on just emotionally through the day and a lot of people skip that step because you know they're wrapped up in you know how you know how fast will i be biking or how am i gonna climb that hill or that kind of thing and but the fact of the matter is is that if things go sideways emotionally out there then the other stuff doesn't happen you don't even get yeah. there so all oh, those the so best you know, plans are just laid you know on the road between okanagan falls and the big peach you know so many you know <laughs> broken hearts and tortured souls yeah. and you got a lot of time to think about it so unless you've had that yeah, you know mental know. rehearsal okay if then we do this if this isn't happening try this but uh you know to to, to work out those demons well you're contending for an age group spot or you know contending to, mm-hmm. to get in before the cutoff off. that's that's a lot of pressure so having the ability to have thought that through you know um is, that's is right gonna that's right you. and yeah and also having a bit of a refocusing plan too because you know like i alluded to earlier it's it's a long day out there and a lot of time for things to go sideways and mm. just there's just a lot of time to think right. <laughs> you know so you know the the fact of the matter is is yeah, I mean, long distance triathlon, there's going to be tough patches. So it's good to think about, you know, a, a smooth day and a good day emotionally and also, you know, how you might regroup if um, if things go sideways. So, you know, spending some time doing that and then, you know, and then I would have them, you know, spend a subsequent day um, doing some visualizing and then thinking about how they want to move and how it's going to feel and how they want to be efficient, you know, and the kind of kind of physical cues that they might think about as you know, as they process as, as realistically in their mind as they can about how it's going to feel. So, you know, ultimately thinking about how it's going to feel physically and how I'm going to uh, manage that course and deal with it within my skill set, not somebody else's skill set, yeah. but my skill set yeah. and uh, trying to keep it real. Mm. And so essentially you're coming up with physical strategies to deal with the course as well. Mm-hmm. So, so just trying to be structured with that, you know, and, and get themselves as mentally prepared as they can you know along with going through their taper protocol and staying off their legs and not doing too much <laughs> during race week yeah don't try and compensate for you know not being a great wife or husband or parent or daughter or employee in the you know the week and a half before an iron man i mean no stick, yeah for sure stick, uh, a lot of times the, the most and... the most a lot of times the most important thing you can do is talk to your uh your partner and you know or your supporter or whatever and and kind of tell them um the kind of support that they can give you on race week because sometimes you'll have athletes especially on race morning and they're good in a good headspace but their family are just completely losing their marbles <laughs> you know yes. they're crying or oh. screaming or whatever and you see the poor athletes trying to manage the emotions of their family yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah you know or you know you tell me you know i just i want you to be there and i want you to give me a big hug and you know don't ask me seven times how am i feeling or how am i gonna do and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when are we gonna you know? see you at yeah. yellow lake 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, give me a big, give me a big hug, and then go off and have a pancake breakfast, and all you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love you, mom. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> so um, yeah. we're aware of time as far as your time constraints. You're a busy guy. So um, just before we let you go, if we can ask you one final question, Lance. Yes. Okay. So for an athlete who's who's planning to maximize his or performance during their next taper, would you have like uh, maybe two or three do's and two or three do nots? Do's and do nots of yeah. taper. Okay. Um, um, do create time to stay off your feet. Um, <laughs> do plan to have all your Ironman gear checked in by one o'clock in the afternoon, the day before the race and go back to your hotel room and do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> do nothing. Yeah. Do, 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 do is do nothing. Um, um, do not is, um, you know, going to the expo and buying new gear and trying it out on race day. Um, there is no silver bullet. <laughs> go, go with what you know. Um, I actually, I encourage athletes to go to the expo a couple of days out and buy a whole bunch of great stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. that's fun, but, uh, you know, bring it, bring it home and <laughs> try it yeah. in your next training, in your next training block. Um, um, you know, I would say, uh, do not put unrealistic expectations on yourself for race day. Mm-hmm. You know, ask yourself to, to, to perform within, you know, 5% of where your fitness is and just try and be consistent out there it's it's when athletes start to dream about you know having that once in a lifetime performance or doing something that they haven't seen in training before they're they're skating on thin ice you know it's like if things go sideways they fall through the ice pretty quickly so so do not put undue pressure on yourself to perform anywhere above what you've done in training yeah, I mean, one day I was feeling so good there at Whistler. I was sure I was going to catch Brent McMahon, but I guess he had other plans. <laughs> yeah, he's always strong. He's always strong in the second half of the marathon. Yeah. So better, 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 better luck next time. I, I guess so. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Lance. Um, it's always nice to talk to a, a triathlon legend in Canada and around the world, and um, you most certainly are it. And uh, we appreciate your time uh, helping our athletes and all of our listeners and the folks with uh, Triathlon Magazine Canada in their quest for uh, triathlon awesomeness. It was my pleasure joining your show and thanks for having me.